and I made it fun. I got everyone these buttons. I don't know if you can see it. And those sales reps loved it. And I started getting requests from the broader sales team. Well, I want to be a part of that. You make it fun. And, and these stupid little buttons, everyone <laughs> wanted one of these things, I you know, the 25 cents for this and just gamifying it, making it fun. But the value we got out of that every two weeks was amazing. You could make them into an NFT, Tim. There you, you go. Admit, that could have been your opportunity there? many years ago. Dang you could have been the first one in. Dang it. Hey, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Competitive Enablement Show. I'm your host, Adam McQueen, and in today's episode, we had a special mailbag edition where we answered the listener questions. In order to do this, I was joined by Tim Rhodes, the head of competitive intelligence consulting at Appraise360, and a familiar face in Brandon Bedford, the competitive enablement manager at Clue. A couple of the listener questions that we answered were how compete professionals can enable their business to win during these uncertain times, strategies to compete against the status quo and legacy competitors. Few of Tim and Brandon's favorite Intel collection strategies that you can take today and how they both reframe a competitor's real or perceived strength, both via internal messaging and external messaging. I love getting to do these mailbag style sessions. I think we're gonna do plenty more of these in the future now. So if you have any burning questions, feel free to fire them my way via LinkedIn, or you can email me at adam.mcqueen at clue.com. Inbox and DMs are always open. And if you're listening to this episode, it would mean the world to me and Ben if you could subscribe to the show and leave us a review. All right. With that all said, let's get into today's episode. All right. Today, I am joined by a familiar face. It's Brandon Bedford, the Competitive Enablement Manager at Clue. Brandon, thank you for joining me. Of course, always happy to be here. What is this? Is this your is this your third episode, third appearance now? That might make you the. Uh... I think so. I guess I have an unfair advantage being at Clue, but. Um, I don't know yeah. if that's unfair advantage or just me slacking you constantly. Like, yep, you need to come on next week's episode. Open your calendar, and I just throw it in there. So, it, it depends. And we're not just joined by Brandon. We also have a special guest, and that is Tim Rhodes, the. Head of Competitive Intelligence Consulting at Appraise360. And he also has, how, how many years of experience do you have building compete programs and working in competitive oh, intelligence at this point? I, yeah, I was thinking about that question. And unfortunately, it's 20. <laughs> 20 years? 20 years. Yeah, going back to, to 1998. So obviously, we have a wealth of experience here. Tim has... Um, kindly agreed to join us for a special episode we are doing a mailbag edition of the ce show today and that's because a lot of folks during our live sessions or just shooting me messages on linkedin and emails just they're asking questions about running compete and i thought you always want to answer the audience's questions so we picked about five or six we'll see how many we get to we'll see how many rabbit holes we go down but we're just going to dive right in to what our listeners want to know about. We, we feeling good to go here, guys? Absolutely. Ready to go. All right. I wanna, I'm going to kick this one off with a question from Alan. 
And he asked me, how are you watching competitors and customers, especially in recessionary times? This is a topic that I think everyone's seen throughout. I scroll through my LinkedIn and it's how to do X in recessionary times, uncertain markets. But I think in the context of compete, this is incredibly important. So Tim, what's, what's your, what's your take on this? I know I don't want to say the word. I don't want to say the word recession. We're going to use the word uncertain times, but when the market is in a state of potential volatility, how, how do you compete? So, you know, I, given the history that I was just telling you about, you know, unfortunately I've seen some of these cycles and, you know, a big one was in 2008 with the housing, we won't call it a crisis, right? (laughs) The housing situation that we had that, you know, impacted the market. One of the things that we saw there and we've seen in times of market uncertainty is an increase in losses to the incumbent solution. We call these do nothing losses, right? Where, a business will come into a sales opportunity thinking they can, you know, create some sort of, 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 of value by using your, your product. But at the end of it, uh, for whatever reason, they decide to do nothing. And so I'm starting to see a lot of this with my clients where their quote unquote, do nothing losses are lost to incumbent, which was typically around 20, 25%, you know, really double. We're starting to see 35, 40% you know, losses to, to, to the incumbent. So this is really concerning because sales reps are entering into sales cycles and, and end up having to, you know, go through them all for the, you know, the customer to do nothing. Of course, there's an opportunity to come back and retarget those later, but that's, that's one thing to think about and really understand, especially from top of the funnel, how can we focus on that? The second thing is, is if you're in a marketplace that has uh, large incumbent platforms, healthcare technology, services technology, IT, we're starting to see more and more of these platform competitors come in with very narrow offerings, but be able to take deals away because of the economics from a platform. Let me give you uh, an example. One of my clients is in the, the healthcare space, and they're starting to see large platforms come in and take over deals that have a component of what they offer, but not as deep. But they're able to come in with these platforms and offer uh, you know, greater economics, more functionality, uh, be able to compete on total cost of ownership. So in situations where you have these platform competitors like Salesforce, Microsoft, ServiceNow, where typically you might have a greater win rate, um, those are ones that I would really pay attention to. To, to start monitoring and see what they're doing that is offering competitive functionality where you wouldn't normally consider them. And why do you think that is? Because I think when you talk about sort of potential legacy competitors, there's that often that saying like, you don't get fired for choosing IBM. You don't get fired for choosing the incumbent. And is that kind of part of the rationale? Do you think from uh, buyers right now, especially when maybe purse strings are a little bit tighter than they once were? It's like, I could pick this, no, I wouldn't, I don't want to say the word niche, but this more niche option, but this is the, this is the brand name that we all know and recognize. I'm not my, I'm not in the hot seat for picking that. I think that's, you know, part of that. I think the other part of it is not really understanding, you know, the total cost of moving or of selecting a new vendor. There's costs with data management, of bringing the data in, of onboarding, of training, of you know, implementation and integration. 
that oftentimes customers don't consider till they're halfway through a sales cycle. And so it's easier just to do nothing and stay with what you're doing, right? And push it off for two to three years to not have to take on that cost or not take on that issue of what you're talking about in terms of, you know, internal career, professional, you know, reputation concerns from taking something on, right? And then there's just the, you know, the overall cost. But one of the interesting things about these platform players, say, you know, ServiceNow, um, uh, Salesforce, Microsoft, Workday, you, you know, if you're in uh, HCM and in, in HR, they're starting to expand significantly. And, and you see it across the board. Zendesk is another great example. These companies that are adding specific capabilities and they come in with an amazing value proposition that can box out the competition very effectively by saying, look, we can solve this entire issue for you. Yeah, we may not have the, 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 the depth, but we have the breadth and we can do it you know, at half the cost if you were just choosing a you know, applicant tracking system or this specific piece of HR technology. And in times like now where there's uncertainty, that can be really appealing to have one vendor that covers all of this. And then there's, of course, you know, behind that, all of the value around data management and those types of things. And uh, starting to see a lot of, of platform competitors that we haven't seen before come in and really impact competitive win rate. Tim, I love that you've kind of provided sort of a big picture there of what's happening, especially in the current state of the market. Let's put on your um, compete hat here, Brandon. As someone, if you're mm-hmm. if you're someone that is running compete at a an organization that might be in 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 trouble, or they're they're dealing with these legacy competitors that are offering a broader set of um, functionality, because you you got to keep competing. It's not time to right. just pack up shop, go home, admit defeat. So, what what would you do? Totally. And I just want to firstly state that I think what uh, Tim, what you mentioned is, is super insightful and, and spot on. I think just if you follow that advice of like focusing on incumbent solutions or status quo, and also looking at maybe those uh, older school competitors that are platform plays, um, those are like two really actionable things you can do right away. Um, for our own competitive landscape, we don't have as many like Microsofts or ServiceNow is kind of in like Clues competitive landscape, but I but I think that is certainly applicable for you know if that applies to your industry. Um, so maybe just from my perspective, I'll share more on the status quo piece. So or just incumbent in general, and I think the, the framework we kind of use at Clue is there's kind of three you know. I guess, elements or portions of the sales cycle that we want to enable the team on, which is, you know, why, why change? Why now? So why do they need to make that change now? And then why clue? And you could argue competitive enablement really fits into that third bucket. But you know, I do think competitive enablement stretches across that. And I think uh, another way I like to think of what you described, Tim, is there's the shift towards a much greater focus on why change, like why change at all? In large part, again, due to you know greater uncertainty, um, you know tighter budgets, people are just maybe more risk averse generally during these times, and so uh, a lot of the enablement we're doing right now is around that why change piece, which can take you know maybe I'll give a tactical example, really enabling our customer facing teams and sales, customer success, account managers. Uh, to be able to build a business case, to, to be able to show either to an existing client or a potential new client, hey, here's the actual return on the investment. Here's how we can get closer to you know, revenue impact or cost savings, because that's ultimately what's going to help 
determine that why change decision. And I think in doing so, you can also influence the why clue decision, right? You know, if I use the example of a new, new customer that's like looking into a competitive enablement platform for the first time, there is certainly value that, you know, we can provide by helping them build out that business case, which can help with the why clue decision uh, as well. Mm-hmm. So I think, yeah, spot on what Tim said. And I just think just to double click on the incumbent or status quo is just enabling that kind of why change piece. And then the other thing I'll just add, which maybe just taking the question in a different direction. When I when I when I heard that question from Alan, I thought of kind of uh, from like an Intel collection standpoint. I think there's something interesting to be said around you know, and I'm, I'm a bit of a like a macro uh, nerd. I love following you know venture capital valuations and the markets and stuff, kind of you know in my own time. But it's also relevant to uh, compete. I think the uh, the interesting angle there is when we move into a uh, kind of period of uncertainty like this. And again, no one really knows how long or how deep this uh, this period could be. There is an opportunity to find intelligence in that kind of sphere where there maybe wasn't when liquidity is cheap and money is flying around everywhere. So to give an example, like there's oftentimes smaller competitors might start getting acquired uh, during this time. To your point, uh, Tim, as well, those incumbent players might start expanding or continue expanding and grabbing market share from like adjacent spaces that maybe aren't their core competency because they're they're leveraging that that period of uncertainty. Um, or just you know a more straightforward one is you can often find uh, maybe signals of distress from competitors, competitors that maybe are divesting from certain areas of their business, and that can really help you find and and craft further ways to differentiate potentially to those competitors. Um, again, you know obviously there's a there's a whole rabbit hole we could go down there around like making sure that's that's verified. But I, I just think that there is this opportunity where, you know, you can keep your eyes out on the market to find companies that maybe are, are struggling and that can be reflected in where they're investing, you know, slowing hiring, divesting from certain areas, et cetera. I kind of like that concept of when time, when, when you're not in the good times, it's easy for everyone to have a good face, put on a good external front when the, when the, when the times are good. Like you said, money is cheap, but then you see exactly what might be happening once once push comes to shove. Tim, I got one final kind of quick question on on this topic before we jump to some of the other mailbag questions. That why change piece you mentioned? It's tough to compete against the status quo right now in this in this this time. How how are you helping some of the your clients tackle that? I think to Brandon's point, you know, around building a business case is really important. One of the things that we're doing is building what we're calling champion kits. And what this is, is it we're enabling, you know, my client's customer champion to then go and sell on their behalf internally, right? Whether it's an economic buyer or peers and enabling strong differentiation within that champion kit. So it automatically answers the question, not only why change, but why us, why this vendor and really taking the time to go in and, and be thoughtful and thinking about uh, differentiation across your competitive landscape, but in your top competitors and really building that into those business value cases or, or these champion kits. What I love about that too is if you're fighting against, I, I don't want to use the word fight, but if you're competing against these big legacy um, companies is what you, while you mentioned that they could do everything, that's sort of mm-hmm. their value prop is, in this case, I think what both of you and Brandon touch on, especially with the champion day, is that, that level of personalization. It's really taking that extra step, that extra 
effort to really win that deal cycle because otherwise it's just you've both had a similar sales cycle they're gonna go to the legacy like that's again you're not getting fired going that way like that's um i think that's some great actionable advice now that was more of a macro question we've got some more specific ones from from the listeners here i have one from griffin who asked what do you do to effectively enable Intel or feedback sharing. So how are you crowdsourcing competitive Intel from your, within your own organization? We know that's some of the most valuable Intel, but it's also, I don't think it just comes to you. You don't just wake up as the CE manager, Brandon gets out of bed and it's just <laughs> everyone flooding your inbox with everything the competitors are doing. Or, hey, maybe it is, I, I, don't, I don't know. So Tim, what's some of the strategies that you use to enable that yeah. piece? So kind of putting my hat on, I was the uh, head of competitive intelligence at Eloqua and the Oracle Marketing Cloud after Oracle bought Eloqua. And so we had a very large sales team, about 3,000 worldwide, which is great, but also difficult as well. But amazing amounts of you know what I call sensors, right? That you can pick up and pieces of the puzzle to be able to put together. So this is where having very strong relationships with your sales team and sales leaders is very, very important. So I'll, I'll kind of answer the question of, of the what, how to do that here in a minute, but you've got to build that foundation in order to get that information. So it starts when you get into that organization as a new hire or into that role, spending the time to develop those relationships and really demonstrate value. Because in my experience, sales reps, you know, they don't have the time to stop and participate in competitive intelligence on a you know, significant basis. You've got to help them to understand that this is going to actually provide value to them. It's like the Jerry Maguire saying, "If help me help you, right? And so it's it's early on developing those relationships. You've, you've got to do that. Secondly, more tactically, it's creating opportunities to share that information uh, in contacts. Um, so there's a lot of great tools out there. You know, Clue is one of them to be able to, you know, offer and collect uh, information you know, Slack channels. But one of the things I found to be most effective is inserting myself into the, the daily operations of, of sales teams. So into their sales training, QBRs, to be able to not only collect information, but also be able to offer value. One of kind of my secret tools um, that I've used when I've been at an organization is what I call a drop-in sessions. And at Eloqua and, and, and Oracle, and when I was at CA, we had these on Fridays at 9 a.m. So um, uh, uh, sales reps in the, the EU could participate. And it's a 30-minute drop-in session. And, they, and reps can bring a deal and talk about you know, the competitiveness and how do I position against the com this competitor. What's great about that is while you're helping them, you're also collecting information about how the competition is positioning against your product. And that's very effective. So it's an opportunity to really provide you know, double value of not only help your sales team to, to push to win on deal deals, uh, specific situations, but collect that information, right? And, and, and that's, a, that's a great kind of tool that I've used uh, you know, throughout my career. I, I think Tim nailed it again. I think it's, you know, um, what I had written down in my notes was exactly those things. First, it's all about building relationships, right? You have to have that relationship with, sales, customer facing teams to create that kind of how, you know, help me help you kind of uh, feedback loop. 
Uh, and ultimately that it's that is the truth and just to expand on that a bit right like we're we're collecting intel because we want to help enable the team like that's that's genuinely what we what we are doing it's not just to collect it and, and hoard it so sometimes it just requires that that kind of clear messaging around like hey this is actually going to help you win more deals and win more business in the case of sales or from product managers right when they're doing their product research for the roadmap it's like hey i'm you know, i've done a lot of this research and i can i can help you in your research projects so you're spending less time whatever that benefit is just making sure that's communicated well i, I love the idea around you know, getting more tactical and getting into the daily workflows of you know, in the example of sales reps joining deal desk, pipeline review meetings, sales meetings, trainings. We have a similar kind of system, actually, Tim, um, here at Clue, where we have like a, we call it pipeline review, where um, open season for reps to share what's going on in their um, in their deals and their pipeline. And it's not always competitive in nature, but I always like to be there um, just to like listen in again to collect intel, but also share uh, a take and, and provide that kind of you know hot seat, almost consulting or, or, or guidance in that moment. The only additional thing, and I guess it's, and I'm kind of stretching the question here because I think Tim, you, you gave such a comprehensive answer. But the one thing I would add is one of my biggest sources of intel I find is customers that recently switched from a another solution, a competitor solution to your own solution. And so building that relationship with customer success or account management or renewals is super mm. vital in those moments because it's like the perfect storm for competitive intelligence. You have a customer that was unhappy with a competitive solution, presumably if they, they switched and they you know, migrated, they're fresh in that process. So they're, they're working through learning the new solution and offboarding from the, the previous one. And, you know, I always like to say, you know, a lot of people like to, you know, ask, Oh, how do I, how do we get, you know, intelligence on a competitor's product functionality? And I always kind of challenge that and say, is it really the product functionality you want to understand? Or is it what customers like or dislike about that functionality? And resoundingly it's the, it's the latter. And with <laughs> those customers that have switched, that's where you can get that really juicy Intel. Like, yeah, like our competitor, you know, you know, the solution did this, but we didn't like it for this reason. And we liked it for this reason. It's like, you know, it's, it's basically a win-loss interview, but you've built up that relationship because they're now onboarding to your, your platform. So I just add that in there, but I think, yeah, in terms of the sales side, I think you nailed it, Tim, around building yourself into particularly sales as workflows, right? Sellers are busy they're yeah. They want to, they want to sell. And so there is, there is a kind of give and take there where we kind of have to come to them a little bit such that they also will be more uh, more likely to share via the Slack channel or via an email forward when those things come up as well. One little trick I was thinking about when I was at Alcor, our number one competitor was, was Marketo, right? And what I decided to do is I had the Friday sessions, but I needed more real-time information. And so I built out what I called the, the sales SWAT team. And this was eight reps worldwide that I recruited. And I, what I did is I ran a CRM uh, uh, win rate analysis and recruited my top sales reps that had the top win rate into this quote unquote SWAT team. And I made it fun. I got everyone these buttons. I don't know if you can see it. But, you know, they, were, they were all certified Marketo nice. hunters and they put it on their you know, lapel. So there was this sense of belonging and it was fun. And we would meet every two weeks for 30 minutes, again, at a time that they weren't selling and just talk about what they were seeing. And so, you know, out of the eight, six would show up, but it was a great mini focus group. And we did it every two weeks and those sales reps loved it. And, and I started getting requests from the broader sales team. Well, I want to be a part of that. 
well, you know, here's what you got to do. And, and you make it fun. And, and these stupid little buttons, everyone <laughs> wanted one of these things, I you know, the 25 cents for this and just gamifying it, making it fun. But the value we got out of that every two weeks was amazing. You can make them into an NFT, Tim. There you, you go. That could have been your opportunity there? many years ago. Dang you could have been the first one in. Dang it. <laughs> I love that though. That's such a great idea. And we do it. We do a similar thing. We call it the pod. I, we, I might have to steal that, uh, the button uh, pin idea though, Tim. That's awesome. I love it. And actually on our last podcast episode with Jen Roberts, who is awesome, literally talked about this kind of SWAT team pilot group. She talked about in the context of being able to measure your success, prove out competitive enablement is actually improving the success of your, mm -hmm. of your, of your reps and marketing efforts. But um, in terms of Intel collection, I, I love that. And it's like such an organic way to build a relationship. Mm -hmm. All right. So we've gone high level. Now we've zoomed in a little bit and here's something that is very specific and tactical. So I want to know if I want to know uh, your takes on this one. This is from Scott and he was talking about competitive newsletters. Now, Brandon, you run an awesome competitive newsletter at Clue. Thank you. I'm a big fan, big fan. And he said, if you're creating a competitive newsletter and it's in regards to a product release from a competitor where it honestly, let's be transparent, it pulls them ahead of you. What's some tips or techniques around how you craft verbiage, how you discuss, oh shoot, their product functionality is better than ours. I think this is a piece of like being a compete professional. You have to be that, you have to be the truth teller. You can't be dismissing because that's not doing anyone any good. So in this case here, yeah, competitive product release is going to, might even pull in my head. How would you go about sharing that with the organization um, in, in the newsletter and kind of bigger picture as well? Yeah, that was a really good question. I had to think about this one, think this one hard because I think obviously it depends on your landscape, depends on the product functionality, but I think largely the, the, the takeaway I would, I would share there is, yes, like you said, first, first and foremost, you don't want to bend the truth or like try to come off like, like you're avoiding a, a situation. The, the flip side of that, though, is that there is a kind of different, a different lens on that intelligence that sales might need versus what customer success might need versus what product needs versus what your executive team might need. And I think that's where, you know, in the newsletter, you kind of it, it obviously depends how you set up your newsletter. You could set up, you know, if you have a very complex program, maybe you have newsletters for multiple teams. Uh, we at Clue, we decided to send out a, a newsletter to the entire organization. So I do have to kind of manage those multiple lenses and create messaging that's not only relevant for everyone, but like you said, doesn't kind of mince words too much. And so what that ends up being in my, in my opinion is like kind of a, you know, what is it? What's, what's the product release? And then what are we going to do about it? You know, in, in our why it matters section in Clue, I'll often include like, yeah, here are the areas where, you know, they maybe come out on top, but I always leave it with a positive kind of, here's what we're doing about it, either from our own product release standpoint or from a, a enablement and positioning standpoint, right? Like there's, there is always that layer of, um, you know, how to frame a product release and how to, how to really you know, leverage that in a deal cycle. And so I guess what I'm trying to get at is I, I don't want to leave on a poor note because it is a newsletter that's going out to the full work. And again, that's, that's specific to Clue, but it would obviously take that with a grain of salt depending on how your newsletter is set up. However, the one thing I'll add is while my, while my newsletter is kind of saying, hey, here's the summary, here's the you know, you know, spark notes, I guess, of what it is, why, it's, why it matters, you know, the strengths and weaknesses, 
I'm also leveraging, you know, other communication channels via Clue, but chatting with those specific teams that need to be in the know. So in this example, if it was a product release, I would be creating a channel with the product team to say, hey, you saw my digest. Here's maybe a little bit more color on like why this is a big threat and really focus in on, okay, I need to meet with the product team now to build that out. Or another, obviously a more relevant example, perhaps would be meeting with the executive team. If this was like a really big release, right? Maybe Microsoft is entering your space, right? There's this kind of strategic landscape angle to it. I would craft a message for the executive team. Uh, we have a, we have our own, like another Slack channel. We, you know, we're big Slack users here at Clue, but we create, there's the competitive Intel channel where everyone's discussing. And then we have competitive task force, which is where, you know, select people are there to make sense of something before maybe it goes out to the full, full organization. And yeah, I don't want to get into too many like calculations or like, because there's, there's certain product releases that maybe you want to do that first. You want to chat with your executive mm. team to build out the messaging and craft it. Um, so not to say that you should do all these things all at once, but just kind of sharing. Yeah. One for a news, a, a broad newsletter for the entire org. Don't mince words, talk about strengths and weaknesses, but if there is like a real risk there, or there's something that really does take that competitor to the next level, definitely take those conversations and, and work with the groups that um, you know, need to know that whether that's product or marketing from a positioning lens or the executive team, et cetera. I think, you know, when Brandon said you can't mince words, that's really important because, you know, when I'm working inside of an organization, my job is to help that company win. And so I have to help the company, my sales reps, my account executives, not only position to win, but identify those areas that they have to defend against to guide those sales reps into a position that they can effectively sell. So understanding those weaknesses are really, really important in communicating those so that they, the sales team can be prepared for those questions and adequately have uh, you know, a, a, an effective answer for that. And so you know, one of the things I always think about is, is you know, something like that you know, in a battle card or another format, I'm always going to talk about here's what it is. Now here's what you're going to do about it providing that next layer of, of consultative, you know, approach of here's not only how to position to win, but, uh, you know, here's what you're going to have to defend against. And here's some, some ideas on how to defend against it specifically. Yeah. It's acknowledging the elephant in the room, but not letting it linger, not letting that thing. You, you can't sit and stare at the boogeyman for too long. Cause that just causes that paralysis right. within the organization. And it's on, it's on the compete professional to be, the person that's in the know on these things and be the calming presence that's like, yes, we've acknowledged it. This is kind of, this is what we're going to work on here. And Brandon, you've done the same when there's not necessarily in this context of a big product release, but there's something that just drops unannounced into the competitive Intel channel. There might be a little fire emerging of people being like, what's this, what's this? And it, it requires that totally. person running compete who's monitoring this on a daily basis, who's, who's on top of it to calm people down Mm -hmm. And then provide that context. It's maybe a slightly off topic, but I think I just want to double click on this because I think it's really interesting. Like when we, we speak to our clients around how they, you know, identify an, a piece of Intel, what they do with it, their thought process. Now, obviously every organization is going to be a little different, but I think one of the ways in which almost every organization we speak with is the same is around this event where something really critical happens from like the small companies we work with, where it's like, one person like myself leading a compete program all the way up to some of the largest enterprises where they have a, a team of people. Um, 
it's interesting that when that important event happens, the first thing they do before maybe even going to the executive team to like get the take or, you know, prepare the, the Intel digest, it's, hey team, we see this, we're on it. There's this kind of like notification because exactly what you described, Adam, like when something big like that happens, the last thing you want is people worrying or stressing about it or, or, you know, from that, maybe coming up with their own responses, um, you know, and then you get misalignment across the org, uh, especially in sales where, you know, confidence and morale is infectious. Right. And so there is this kind of immediate notification you want to send in, again, not just for a product release, but, you know, I, I shared this, I think in a prior pod, but one of our competitors Compite was acquired, um, last quarter or maybe I guess two quarters ago now, um, but there was just a moment of like, hey, we see it, we're on it. Like, don't worry about it. We, you know, we're going to have a response to this, and we're going to analyze it. And even in kind of the 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 best sales orgs where you're you're absolutely crushing it, or, or like those events can cause a bit of anxiety. And so I think there's that that piece where, of course, you know, the end result you definitely don't want to mince words. Back to that that piece, but there is that kind of temporary moment when you're kind of crafting the response that you want to also say, hey, hey, team, like we're on it. Um, I don't know if you've, you've seen something similar or if you have more, maybe more formalized process. Cause I, 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 we don't, I don't, I don't think like if we have like a name for it necessarily, but there is, it seems super consistent across a lot of customers that we work with that they, they use that, that process. I kind of think about when I was at CA technologies, IBM had launched this new program to migrate SAP data over to, to, to IBM. And our sales team was freaking out because it was increasing competitive win rate. And so we kind of we kind of thought about it. We got in a room and we we dissected what was happening. And what we realized is that this was a service. This was not technology. And we were able to pin the story and show the effectiveness of CA, being able to do that same thing automatically, being able to bring data over automatically and not having human intervention, which causes errors and problems and cost and management. And we're able to effectively respond to that. And I think for me, it's, it's having a response, not letting that product release or whatever that competitive advantage is go. You've got to have some sort of response and sitting down and strategically thinking about it and putting your consulting cap on. And, you know, if I was in that sales reps, uh, you know, seat, what, what would I say? What would I do? And, and deconstructing that, again, guiding the sales team, not only positioning to win, but how to, you know, how to defend against and finding those opportunities of using jujitsu, of taking your competitors, you know, uh, strengths or, or, you know, strengths and, 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 and your weaknesses and turning them on their head and making it your advantage. I love that example, like this perceived strength. But if you actually dig at this, right. It's, it's, yeah, you, if you're, if you're using human services to cover up what might be a, a technological gap, then sure, they've, they've, they've covered it up and it makes it look like it's this big off like offering, but in reality, it's just more of a shortcoming in their own product. We have, we've hit time. I have so many more questions. That one went by so quickly. So I think that means that we have to do a part two of this mailbag. I've got plenty more for the both of you producer ben in the background said we have to be tight today he was he was cracking the whip on me so tim brandon i appreciate both of you coming on today there was a ton that we got into and i can't wait for us to do this again thank you so much thank you for having me yeah likewise always happy to be here and we'll catch everyone next week